G'day, this is Scott. And this is Marty. Welcome to this episode of Church Unchained. Today we're talking to Katie Wallace, singer-songwriter, published author and all-round humanitarian. We're going to pick up some uh, stories from life and lessons learned from Katie's time in Zambia. So Katie, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you've been doing for the last kind of couple of years? Sure. I'm, my name is Katie and I'm 35 years old and for the last two years I've been living and working in Mwandi village in Zambia um, at a big project for orphans and vulnerable children. Tell us a little bit about that project. What sort of things go on there? It started um, 14 years ago just as a feeding project. Uh, there's a huge HIV um, epidemic in the, that particular community and okay. there still is. And so it started just with lots of kids not having uh, parents and, and as a feeding project. But over the years, it's developed into lots of other stuff. Um, so it's still a feeding project. 280 kids come every day um, and have lunch at the project. But it has now a huge education component. Uh, so we do a lot of it, uh, school sponsorship education. Uh, we do vocational training. and We do income generating projects and micro loans uh, with the community as well. How did you come to move there and do that work like something you've been doing for years and years and years yeah so it was a a fairly significant life-changing experience I had in 2007 so nine years ago and prior to that I guess I had been doing what most other people my age were doing working and living paycheck to paycheck spending (laughs) all of my money on fun things like jeans and watches and shoes and And then I went to Zambia in 2007 on an exposure tour with the youth worker at my church at the time. And and in a space of three weeks, my whole worldview and life got a little bit confusing. And I've spent the last nine years unpacking what that means, basically. Yeah, Yeah, heading back and forth between Australia and Zambia. Yeah, okay. So is it it, drawn to that particular place, particular community or...? I think, a, yeah, I think anyone who's had sort of experience in the developing world, um, that first place where you experience something a bit different tends to be the thing that gets a little bit deeper in your heart. And so for me, that was Mwandi. And over the years, I've been to lots of different places and done work in the developing world. And I sort of just get drawn back to that first love, I yeah. suppose, and can't can't quite kick it. It's something about noticing, you know, a difference in lifestyle um, that I found quite appealing. So it, it basically turned me into a minimalist almost overnight. Um, What's a minimalist? <laughs> so it turned me into someone who I have a craving to have less and less in my life, mostly in a material sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's been a, a process of nine years of, of shedding basically what my Australian life looks like yeah. um, to a point of you know, being able to fit everything I own in my car now okay. and, yeah, and just having... I would have to have a really big car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I drive a semi-trailer, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. I'm minimalising by getting a, a bigger, bigger truck. car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what, what did friends and family say when you come back from two or three weeks, you know, on that exposure tour and go, I think my life's about to change? How do people around you kind of, are they part of that conversation with you? Is it just you on your own keeping mm. it kind of quiet for a while? Or? It was a lot of keeping it quiet because because I had the conviction before I 
knew how to act on it. So I guess if I'd come back with all of these convictions, people would have thought I was an idiot because I was still shopping all the time. And actually, the day I left Africa with my mum, we flew to London for a week and then to New York for a week and came home. So I'd shopped like a maniac literally (laughs) the two weeks after. And and so it was probably a six-month process. And I feel like I had it a lot easier than most people. I know my sister did a big stint in India years before that. And when she came home, she just sort of had this experience of no one, and particularly people in the church, didn't want to hear what she had to say and she she couldn't find a space to express the things that were happening. But for some reason, once I decided what I wanted to do and that one of the first things I decided I wanted to do was to write and record some music about it, I think that just automatically gave me a, an easier platform than yeah. a lot of other people to talk about what was happening. And it was a bit innovative no one else was sort of doing the things that we started to do and this is a long time ago now and and so that yeah I think it just sometimes things that are just a bit different spark people's attention in a different way and so it was quite easy then and then the more I talked about it the more I thought geez I better actually be doing (laughs) this as well people are giving (laughs) us money for our our work in Zambia so I better start offloading some stuff (laughs) and it was a long process, though, of, of yeah, doing that. Do you think that sometimes people in the church get a bit of compassion fatigue when people go on mission trips and they come back mm-hmm. really excited and passionate about a particular yeah. project? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do it myself. I get sick of my own life-changing experiences. I can't imagine <laughs> what other people think of them. But we do, and I guess that's the whole deal of life today is that you know, if if you want to give money to something, there's a million things you could choose to do that. And so we tried to make our message a lot more about what what are you doing in your space rather than asking people to invest in what we were trying to do. We were very aware of of telling people that, you know, if you buy one of our CDs, please don't consider this your response to poverty in the world. Mm. And so we were sort of, we tried to be really clear about this, us writing songs and doing this thing is our response to this experience we've had. And we would just urge other people to look at their context and their community and how, how could they use their gifts and skills in that context. The church, yeah, it's full of it's full of people wanting to do amazing things and wanting people to follow them into those things. Yeah. And and it is exhausting. And, of course, when we would travel around to churches, we would hear all of those stories as well and everyone would want us to follow yeah. their thing yeah. and come and see what we're doing here. And, what, and, yeah, and in one sense that's really exciting because people are trying to do, yeah, good stuff. But, yeah, it can be, it can be exhausting. <laughs> So how do you stop yourself from getting exhausted from it? And even when you're working over there, mm. how do you how do you stop yourself from becoming complacent and it just becoming life? Yeah, it's another huge question. I'd have to say I find it a lot easier to not be complacent when I'm living in Zambia. It's much easier when I come home to Australia to fall back into that trap of not staying really true to the life that I've said I want to live I think I just try and as much as I can try and keep my life very simple and that's 
that's probably the thing that helps me the most. Just just have a few really simple objectives about what it is I'm trying to achieve. And yeah, that's probably how I manage maybe. Simple life. It's never, ever, ever going to catch on. All <laughs> complexity and stuff. <laughs> we do. It's all about complexity and stuff. <laughs> I, I was just really interested to hear you talk about, um, you know, for some people, and I think you mentioned your sister as an example, you know, there's actually not always space even within a church context to kind of process out loud these kinds of experiences. Mm. That, I mean, that, I, think, I think that's really interesting and I wonder what it is that stops us, particularly as church, that is all about community, that is all about us kind of figuring, discerning is probably the right word, but figuring stuff out together, that we don't build those safe spaces for people to kind of say, hey, I'm having this experience and it's making me question a whole bunch of stuff. Mm. I don't I'm not, not even sure if there's a question there, but yeah. it's a really interesting observation. I guess it's a threatening notion, isn't it? So when you open up that space, you have to uh, your church opens up the potential that all of a sudden nobody will really understand yeah, yeah. what it is we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. Um, because my personal journey, that's what it was for me personally. So if we then had 200 people going through that together, that's exciting to me, but it's terrifying yeah, yeah. to to other people because yeah it made me question the nature of what is even the point of being part of a church community if we're not doing um mm. the things that we say are fundamental to who we are as a people yeah. i think it's challenging and i think it's countercultural to start thinking about maybe we don't have all this together maybe we yeah. don't actually understand because yeah, yeah. because the world you know sort of we get put in this position where we have to you know, know what we're doing in our career and plan our family and have our mortgage and and if you and it doesn't leave much life doesn't leave much space for questioning and yeah. doubt and and once you're in that cycle of debt and commitment, it's really hard to pause and question. And even if you do pause and question, it's really hard to act. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's very easy for me to do the things I do because I have no connections. <laughs> I don't call it easy. Packing no. your life up and moving to Zambia. I'm not sure that's easy. Yeah, I don't know. It seems it seems easier to me than trying to figure out how to live here, to be honest. It seemed like a much easier choice. Um, what you yeah. were just saying about the church being countercultural, you know, that's the message that I pull from Jesus' teaching is mm-hmm. that it's very countercultural. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we get this other side of the argument, which is the church needs to be more relevant. Mm-hmm. And I find those two things really, mm-hmm. what is the word I'm trying to find? They're hard to reconcile, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're really hard to yeah. reconcile because if we're more relevant, we're more like the culture that we live in, yeah. yet we're meant to be countercultural. So this is the in the world and of the world kind of yes. dichotomy, mm. I suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've always struggled with the word relevant, like always, yeah. because Jesus, by the nature of who he is, is relevant, whether we make him relevant or not. And so to me, it's more of a, I think if we're doing countercultural correctly, we will be inadvertently relevant, if that yeah. makes yeah. sense. Like yeah, that's, yeah, that's the, but, but gosh, how do you do that? Because I don't think one comes at the expense of the other because Jesus in his counterculturalness was um, captivating to people of the culture that he was trying to counter. That might not be 
relevant, but if we're being captivating, that's probably going to cause change more than more than just being relevant to you know young people particularly because young people can find what they want you know anywhere and but it's hard I mean it's hard you're listening to Church Unchained and today we're chatting with Katie Wallace we're about to dive deeply into what it means to slow down to be still to take our time the very first time I went to Mwandi I just got captivated by the aspects of Christ that I saw in that space and I was captivated to a point where I've lived a life which looks very strange to other people but I but when I say that feels normal to me that's my that's the absolute truth it's because I'm just have something that draws me in that has captivated my attention this way of life of simplicity and of of sitting with people and of slowing down life, of, you know, having to walk to buy my eggs every morning. And that, to me, just just captured my attention and that's nothing like the world I had come from in Australia. And and part of that was just a lifestyle, but but there was Christ in the midst of that. Of, of It just felt more like how he was trying to tell us to live. Mm. And, and so... It was a good training ground to do that in Zambia because it's really hard to live like that in Australia. Yeah. But their culture lended itself to me being able to take that journey maybe a bit easier. You had a number of friends and family visit you in Zambia. Mm-hmm. What was their reaction to the way that you were living and maybe the changes they saw in you? I have probably an unusually supportive family. <laughs> um, it's never it's never occurred to me to not just do what I want to do with my life. So I haven't had to fight to to live the sort of life that I've been living. Sometimes people over-idealise what I've done, I, I think, a lot. I think a lot of people look at what I'm doing and, and have this idea that it's, oh, gosh, you're so special for being able to do that and you're so, you know, gee, you're really doing the Christian life. But it's just such rubbish because to me, it's, I mean, the truth is to me going to Zambia is also just an equally selfish choice because I lo- it's, it, it's like oxygen to me. I just breathe easier there and... Um, and so, yeah, so sometimes people have that response over idealizing what it is I'm doing. Um, because to me, like I can look at someone who's, you know, friends of mine who are in Australia, you know, raising children. And I think, oh gosh, I could never do that. You are, you have a capacity to love and to nurture that in a way that is just not a part of my DNA. And I can see, yeah, and I can idealise that and think, oh, man, you are just doing something that I could never, ever do. And that's the truth. Like, that's not just platitudes. Like, that's the absolute truth. Yeah, so my pe- people who came to visit me just, I mean, yeah, they, just, they loved it and they enjoyed it. And people who know me well know that, that it's that's just my shtick and that's what I do and, and they, they love to come and have a bit of a look the the slowing down and the simplifying i mean that's that's been a very personal journey for you mm. i mean i think busyness is the new black yeah it's, the, yeah. it's you know <laughs> yeah. like it's the first question in any conversation isn't it yeah. you know how you're going oh super busy yeah kind of, that's where we're really busy from. and important yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> exactly right. the busy you are the more <laughs> exactly. things your kids are doing, whatever it is mm. but busyness you know in australia and as you look around how much is that busyness trap kind of interfering with our capacity to be in community together do you reckon 
I mean, you could make a really easy blanket statement and, yeah, say, yeah, yeah. and say it's the main reason we're not in, in good community. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know because I haven't yet found a way to successfully not be that person either in Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Um, and so that's, yeah. that's my big learning point being home is how to not get sucked back into that. Because when I'm busy... It's not like I'm not having a really happy, awesome yeah, life, yeah. like because yeah, I am. Yeah. Like yeah. I have wonderful friends, and yeah. it's and I'm busy because I'm doing fun things with people and um, and all of that. So it's not like oh gee, why are we all living these awful lives? Yes. Um, yeah. So it's good times. yeah, <laughs> yeah, good times. yeah. Uh, my biggest thing that I fall into, um, and it just comes from a personality fault is my need to have everyone love and adore everything I do Mm. means that I invest far too much time in one-on-one relationships with too many people and so that affects my ability to you know have simple life here I have very deep life here but I think I share it with too many people (laughs) if I can just broadcast (laughs) all my friendship tips for the week have people pick up what they want yeah, because it's so easy to connect with so many people, yeah. I think that's an idea of community that people have that they think yeah. we're doing the, that the really more, well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but for me, that makes that makes my life just a bit hectic, probably. Yes. How was it leaving Zambia? Um, it's been fairly horrific. It's it's been <laughs> not a great six or seven weeks yeah I guess it's my heart for nine years has lived in two places and so every time I leave yeah. either one of those places it, everything just tears and has to reconfigure um, a little bit but ultimately the choice to leave was because I I didn't feel like I had the the skills or the energy to take that project in the direction I knew it needed to go and so um, I think that my energy can better serve the project from here doing some of the things that I used to always do um, to support them. And so that's, yeah, that's what I have to figure out now, I guess. It but, does, yeah, gut-wrenching. I mean, it does sound like you haven't and you're not actually leaving Zambia in that sense that, you know, yeah. while you're, that particular role in that particular project might be over. Yeah. But, I mean, just the way you speak about the country and the people. And the, yeah. That, that connection will continue. Yeah, and it's, I just sounds like anyway. Yeah, and I just have to, I guess, figure out a healthy way to do that, and a healthy way, because you know, I can, I don't know what it is, but I can stand up in front of people and tell some stories, and 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 you know, lots of people seem to get excited about that and want to be a part of it, and so now I'm in the position of having to be really careful. What am I? What direction am I helping people to go in? Because it goes back to what we were talking about, aid and development, mm-hmm. and. And that's, that's the other thing I'm really having to process, having spent, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the developing world, um, but, yeah, seeing the way that our Western ideas of progress um, can really impede culture and, and so trying to figure out how, how do we be healthy partners with our friends uh, in other parts of the world um, because if I'm going to stand up and talk about this yeah. stuff... Uh, yeah, I don't want so, to keep sewing into old ideals that aren't working. So, I mean, obviously that sounds like a work in progress for you, but are there some clues about how, how, what healthy partnership looks like or what good 
community development looks like? You know, how does a local church in suburban Brisbane or Cairns or you know wherever it is figure out how how do we appropriately support work in a developing country? Yeah, and Are there some clues. Yeah, I'm by no means an expert on this like at all. And I know in the Uniting Church we have great resources in this area um, through Uniting World people that are. Uh, experts at this sort of stuff but my purse from my personal feelings and experiences are that firstly we have we have to I guess go into places and in my mind go into places for a really long time and do nothing (laughs) and and that's that we don't want to do that just kind of hang about yeah we don't want to do that we don't want to do that because we want to be able to bring the stories back of we built this and we did this and this many kids are going to school now we just have to slow down I think the way that we enter into communities and and it's I don't know it's a hard thing for me to talk about now because I'm very overwhelmed by how hard that is and how much damage I've seen done by us (laughs) in that context and you know I've come from a community where there's just a complete attitude of entitlement because all western people have ever done is 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 taken money in and built things and and sometimes that's needed and so you don't say that that's not needed um but it's a really difficult tension to kind of hold yeah it really is and it's really hard to develop genuine community and genuine relationships with people when there is just innately a balance of power in play just because of the fact that I have access to thousands of dollars that that someone may never can't even conceive of the amount of money that I might have access to just through not personally but through family and friends and and so to develop true community it, it requires just so much time for someone else to be able to see me not as a person above them but I mean that's a daunting idea for me too how, how to get how to get there because if I had nothing and I knew someone else had something and I knew that the fact that they had something would change my life I'd be yeah. doing everything yeah, I could yeah. to be in a relationship with that person <laughs> so it's just this it's difficult yeah. ideas yeah and yeah I'm kind of wondering whether some of those principles hold true in a, in a local setting as well you mm. know, like if like whatever it be whether you know we're trying to just sit with a you know a mum who's just lost a child in a suburban mm. kind of you know environment or whatever it is but that that sense of being present and, mm. and waiting and being mm. gentle and slow and patient and all of those things that, mm. that, that, you, that you talked about mm. um, I, I without going all religious um, mm. one of the one of the bible stories I love is this kind of interaction between Philip and this Ethiopian uh, comes out of Acts, I think it's chapter 8 or 9, and, you know, Philip's wandering along this desert road and he doesn't really know why except that God sent him to wander along this desert mm. road. The Ethiopian comes out of the way. And the message from God to Philip is just go over and stand next to his mm. kind of chariot. Just go and be there mm. and see what happens. I mean, mm. that's the whole instruction from God to Philip is mm. just go and hang about. Mm. Um, and then a whole, you know, the whole story unfolds. But it comes out of first Philip being willing to just go and stand by the chariot and, mm. and see what happens. Mm. Um, it sounds a little bit like, you know, what you're saying. Yeah, 100%. The kind of critical nature of actually just being there. Yeah. Um, wherever there happens to be. Yeah. And I guess it's one of the biggest failings of the church, isn't it, is that we get very busy about trying to convince people that we have all the answers to why they're hurting or 
you know, we've got, we've got Jesus, we've got the answer instead of, yeah. instead of just sitting next to people. And I'm really, I'm sort of interested in this idea at the moment in light of our, you know, political climate and what a climate uh, it is. Fantastic. And, and just some of the horrific things that have been happening in the name of Christianity in our nation is that Christians are just fighting too hard to prove they're right about things. They're just fighting too hard. And even within Christianity, factions of Christianity proving that I'm right on this issue and I'm right on this issue. And, and you're right, it's not what we're asked to do because, you know, time and time again, to get all religious, is Jesus just keeps saying, but we're all invited into the family and we're all allowed to, we're all, you know, stop trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. And um, I mean, it's simple ideas, isn't it, that we all know are right. Yeah. So, but yeah, to sit with people is always the starting point. And sometimes to not have an agenda is really hard. Like it's, it's yeah, super yeah. hard. But not having an agenda, I guess that's the lesson I've learned over the last decade of my life is for you know the seven years before I went and lived in Zambia when I was traveling to Zambia and the Philippines and other places like that is all I was doing was sitting and listening to people's stories for seven years that's what I did and and trying to figure out what it was that I could learn from someone else's experience and I don't remember once ever saying I know the answer to that. Yeah. I know why you were sold into sex slavery. Like that's yeah. just not yeah, yeah. like I, I can I can help you with that because I know what happened, and yeah, and in listening to people's stories, my goodness, it it was soul saving for me. Just the act of listening yeah. um, is is a moment of grace. I think uh, whether you can do anything or not to help. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it is one of the most powerful gifts we can give. Is to listen to the story of another. I feel like, and it ends up being yeah. a gift to us as well. Yeah, is, is what I'm hearing yeah. from your story and your experience. Yeah, yeah, that that's. Yeah, so I was just going to say, I feel like that's a really good place to stop. Yeah, because I just have one more question. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> so, what's next for Katie Walls? Yeah, yeah, I'd love someone to tell me <laughs> the so answer remember, to yes, that question. Right. Hashtag Church Unchained. <laughs> yeah. um, What's next for Kate? Uh, on a logistical level is finding a job so that I can eat because <laughs> I just spent my entire life savings buying a car when I got home. So I guess my heart yearns for to go back to where my journey started and to go back to being a person who sits and listens and tells stories I love the lessons that we can learn from storytelling and I'm really passionate about uncovering funny truths or deep truths from really insignificant events that happen in life. So I'd love to find my sense of humour again. I'd love to find my creativity again and, um, yeah, and start start to tell the stories of the world that I find myself in. And you know, maybe one day people will pay me to do that, and that would be <laughs> that would be just the even bigger dream. <laughs> Thanks so much for hanging out with us and trusting us with your story um, and some of the insights that you picked up along the way. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Church Unchained. We want to invite you to join the conversation with us. Why not join us on Twitter at UCAQLD? or use the hashtag Church Unchained. How else can people join in, Marty? 
You can also jump onto the UnitingChurch.Queensland Facebook page and join the conversations there. And again, if you have any dangerous or innovative ideas that you want to share with us, email us at communications at ucaqld.com.au. And join us next time at Church Unchained. <laughs>